All right, friends, school is indeed about to begin, and a new way of life, well, an old way of life, is back upon. Many of us, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, our cities will turn their collective attention toward our kids and young people in the coming weeks and months. And here at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, we are going to do the same thing. The next three weeks of the messages and our themes and worship here can be summed up in this phrase, Growing young, God is inviting us all, whether we're students, whether we're middle-aged, whether than older than middle-aged, God is inviting us to be growing young. Jesus' final words to his disciples provide the starting point for this idea and today's message. This is from Acts chapter 1. Then they, meaning Jesus' remaining 11 disciples, they gathered around in Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their question was, are you going to take charge now? Is there going to be a change in management and government? Are you going to make everything work out the way we think it's supposed to work out now? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is our key phrase, if you would read it all together in a loud voice. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then Samaria, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. These five words, you will be my witnesses, are God's word for our congregation and our community today. One more time. You will be my witnesses. Some of you might be thinking, is this where the pastor gives the evangelism pep talk? I thought this was going back to school. This is about growing young. Stick with me. What exactly is a witness? If you flip open a dictionary, it gives you three main things, three main definitions. A person who is a witness simply sees or hears an event, an eyewitness, right? Were the disciples that kind of witness? Yes, three years. They had walked, seen, heard the life of their rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. They had also witnessed his death and crucifixion. They had witnessed his resurrection, and the living Lord. For sure, they were that kind of witness. Definition number two, a witness is someone who gives uh, testimony in a court of law, stands up in front of people and shares their version of reality, shares their story. Were these 11 disciples those kind of witnesses? They were growing into it. They would be. Yes, they would share the story. They would share the good news. Some of them would even get hauled into court and have to testify. The third definition, and most significantly, is that a witness is evidence or proof. You don't even have to be a person to do this. For example, this building is a witness to the generosity of Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. See what that kind of witness is? It itself, in its identity or nature or the fact that it exists, is the proof or evidence of something bigger. 
Now, this third definition in particular, I believe, is what Jesus is getting at when he's saying, you will be my witnesses. Here we are 2,000 years later. Many of us in the room are committed disciples. Did we see and hear Jesus Christ in the flesh? Not unless you are on a super great health care and retirement plan. No, we are not that kind of witness. Are we the kind of witnesses who give testimony, stand up in a court of law, or share the story? Yes, we can be that kind of witness. Are, can we be the kind of witness who through our lives are literally the evidence or proof that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that God so loved the world that he sent him? Can we be that kind of witness? Yes. <laughs> Amen, brother. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says these five words, you will be my witnesses. Jesus could come back in the flesh at any time. He could put a banner across the clouds every day to remind people that he's alive, that he's risen. He does not because he has chosen to trust his very life, presence, reality, and love to people like us. We are supposed to be the evidence. You will be my witnesses. So here's a simple question. It's a horrible question. How is it going for those of us who are Jesus' committed disciples in North America in the year 2018? How vibrant, alive, life-giving, compelling is our witness collectively as Jesus' disciples? How is that going in 2018? <laughs> There's some bad looks on people's faces. Uh, we are not doing awesomely right now as Jesus' collective witness to those who don't know him. Here's a few just, they're going to sound like harsh statements. The church in North America is shrinking right now. It has been for quite a while. The church in North America is also rapidly aging the church is aging much, much faster than the society around us. Now, you might think, like, hey, for a middle-aged person like me, since I was born, like, there's all these huge churches that have sprung up across America. Like, aren't we doing something okay? Like, in 1980, literally, there was only a handful of megachurches defined as a church with more than 2,000 members in North America. Since 1980... In our country, in North America, more than 1,500 new megachurches have risen up. So big, high-profile churches. Doesn't that mean our witness is doing well? Despite the growth of these really big churches, overall church attendance is falling off a cliff. And there is uh, no significant major Christian tradition or denomination in North America Day that is actually growing. The Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Roman Catholic, the Christian Reformed, like as many denominations as you can think of, none of them over the last 25 years are growing. It gets worse. <laughs> okay, here's a little census data from 2007 and 2014. Uh, in 2007, 78% of North Americans identified themselves as Christians. That did not mean they're on fire believers. They would just say, you know, all things being equal, sure, I'll call myself a Christian. Seven years later, 
In 2014, that number was down 7% to 71% of people. In 2007, 16% of North Americans, when asked, like, do you have any spiritual identity, would say, nope, I'm a nun. I have no spiritual affiliation. This is the category sociologists use, actually, or called nuns. No spiritual home. Seven years later, in 2014, that number was up 7%. So in seven short years, Christian identity down 7%. No identity up 7%. This is going at an alarming rate. In the four or five years since then, it's one percentage point a year. Where is the church going to be in, oh, 70 years if this continues? Can you chart that trend? Do the math in your head? Additionally, the reputation and the credibility of the church as a witness to the life and power and love and good intention of Jesus Christ, our brand has been falling. My heart hurts these last few weeks for what's happened at Willow Creek Community Church. I'm not going to get into it. Of who, who allegedly did what? Here's what I know. When big, high-profile churches have serious stuff that's out of line or goes down, it hurts the collective witness everywhere. That's what hurts. I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian. 97 days out of 100, I am very happy to be known as a pastor, to serve, to empower other people. There's a few days, maybe three out of 100, where I'm ashamed to be a pastor because of what we as clergy have done to the body of Christ in abusing and hurting American society. I'm in that group. It hurts our witness. The conclusion of all this bad news, according to this happily colored green book called Growing Young is this. The church as we know it is calibrated for a world that no longer exists. When I first read that statement, I know this is true deep in my bones, but that hurts. The church as we know it is calibrated for a world that no longer exists. America in 2018 is not America of 1965 or 1975, or even 1985. This is the bad news, but it is our reality. It's the status of this country, our society, the times in which we live. <clears throat> in response to this basic reality, a bunch of our leadership groups over the last year have read and digested and talked about uh, this book, our elders, our staff, our senior leadership team. This book fully acknowledges everything I just talked about. Many of the statistics come out of this book, okay? The point of this is not to get depressed about it. What this book did as a next step was to say, where are the bright spots in North America where the witness is working, whether, where it's alive, where it's compelling, where more people are identifying as Christians and fewer are identifying as nuns, where 50% of young people don't 
leave the church forever the minute they graduate from high school, but where young adults stick around, where even little kids are engaged from a young size. This is the question this book asks. Where are these oases and bright spots, and what do those places have in common, and how can more churches start doing this so that we can all collectively be Jesus' witnesses? By the way... uh, Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church is a bit of a bright spot. I mean, there's, we should be thankful for this, right? Uh, I mean, there's about 1,500 people that formally call themselves members here. 500 of those are below the age of 18. Like, there's a lot of kids around here. Uh, it's always been the best part of our ministry since day one. Lord willing, it never stops. If we should get too self-congratulatory about this, Even if you're a somewhat healthy fish, if you're swimming around in polluted waters, what's going to happen eventually? That's our reality. In order to grow young, it's not about having a big church, a medium-sized church, or a small church. That was not one of the common characteristics of all the bright spots. It was not about being in a particular location urban or suburban or rural. It was not about having a really awesome building. It was not about having a snappy pastor. It was not being uh, part of a cool denomination. Is that even a thing, a cool denomination? Probably not. Or a lack of denomination. The bright spots were all over the map in terms of church size, uh, demographic location, uh, experience of pastors. But this book located six big ideas or behaviors that the bright spots had in common. And in the next three weeks, I'm going to share these things with you. I'm not going to like preach this book and give you the cliff notes of this book because this is not the word of God. This is simply helpful in teaching us how we can be the strongest, brightest, most vibrant witness we can be because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Reading this book is simply a first step toward what I hope as your lead pastor is increased intentionality, turning us outward and into greater spiritual vitality. This is a little two-word phrase that you're going to get sick of hearing me say. Spiritual vitality. Have you heard this turn of phrase before? I like it because it hasn't been uh, beaten to death uh, by the church in North America yet. Spiritual vitality does not mean more numbers. It does not mean uh, better-behaved people. It does not mean shinier, happier people. Spiritual vitality simply means a vibrant, intense, alive spiritual life connected to Jesus Christ. That is what we are aiming for around here. Individuals and people who are connected to the life of Jesus Christ, because if you are plugged into that power source, like you're alive and other people will take notice. And what our nuns need around here what our non-Jesus-knowing friends need around here, what they're really looking for is people who are actually spiritually alive, who, who really have a spiritual life. Not who are phoning it in, not a church with a great live stream, an actual, vibrant, alive, spiritual life. 
That is what North America needs, more people with that. The first big idea in growing young, churches that have this sort of spiritual vitality, is that they are churches where the keys are regularly shared with the young adults of the church. So here's what I mean. Like, if you hang around the church, again, I work here. I, these are literally my church keys. Like, I physically have them. They're both literal and metaphorical. Like, our elders have responsibilities. They have certain keys to the life of this congregation. Our small group leaders, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of small groups. And you're, if, if you're the leader or shepherd of one of those small groups, like, you have a little set of keys for the well-being, for the prayer life, uh, for the engagement of your small group. Churches that are really spiritually alive share these keys at every possible turn with the young adults and young people in the church. So in some places, church leaders, pastors included, are called keyless leaders. Keyless leaders sometimes are a little bit clueless. Do I even have keys? What am I supposed to do again around here? I think I left my keys like a decade ago somewhere out back. Like, that's a keyless leader. Don't, not even aware of their responsibilities. Sometimes keyless leaders are young and inexperienced. I'd really like some keys, but nobody will give me any. Sometimes keyless leaders are older people who feel like the church moved past them and they have lost their voice somewhere along the way. Some churches have key hoarding leaders. Like, here's my keys. You will never touch them. Thank you very much. Like, if anybody is going to say a word on this platform today, it's going to be me, right? Because the more I do things, the more credit I get. May God never bless the key hoarding leaders. There are also key lending leaders. This is like, um, sure, you can try this once, and then it'll probably never happen again. Right, like you can come play music at youth group, but unless it's really good, we'll never ask you again. You can pray, maybe in front of church, maybe behind church, but if it doesn't seem like you know what you're doing, like it'd be too much work to help you and train you and coach you, so we'll just ignore that that ever happened. You hear what I'm saying? Like, there's good intention with the key lending leaders, but not the follow-up and the love and being committed to empowering you. The fourth category, and this is what we are striving for, is genuine key-sharing leaders. I mean, it takes a lot of maturity and trust to hand over your keys. Can you catch Karen? Bam, nice catch. I no longer have my keys. Like, you could break into my office right now. There's a lot of non-helpful. <laughs> and that's the idea. You toss your keys to somebody, they do a great job, you talk about it, you help them take the next steps. As an illustration of this, uh, when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I had a wonderful music teacher uh, whose name was Mrs. P. Now, by the time fifth grade rolled around, I had taken two years of piano lessons and quit because I hated going to this old lady's house after school. It was a total drag. 
And my mom let me quit. She had failed with four children previously teaching them piano. I was just like one in a long line of failures. But my music teacher, Mrs. P, like heard me banging around on the piano after music class one day and said, like, have you had any lessons? I said, well, a few, but I've switched to the saxophone now. No more piano for me. She was like, I'd like you to try something, little Greg. Uh, When our fifth grade choir sings, I want you, instead of me, the music teacher, I want you to play the piano for our choir. I think you could do that. She forked over this piece of music, essentially a giant key, right, to her fifth grade choir, and was like, in a month, um, this is how it's going to go down. So a month later, I mean, again, two years of piano lessons, I could, like, read music kind of, but I had never played for a choir before. This was like an audacious big step. I remember, like, having terrifying dreams prior to playing for my fifth grade choir in the gymnasium. But I did it, and I had this experience where I was absolutely thrilled. I mean, I played this song. It was everybody singing together. I mean, the sound in this gymnasium was so live and huge. I was sold for life. Music is so much fun. When, a bu- when hundreds of people sing together, what could be better than that? I'm all in. I had already quit but she just gave me a key. Now, just 10 days ago, I had a meeting in Michigan, and I was handing off a key for something in our denomination with some musical responsibilities to um, a woman. Her name is Jen. She's about 10 years younger than me. We got to talking. We realized we went to the same elementary school. We got talking about different teachers. And she was like, the craziest thing happened. Our music teacher in fifth grade had me play for our choir. I was like, no, that's my story. (laughs) So Mrs. P was not the world's greatest singer. She had like a little auto harp. I remember her being kind of like campy and folksy. Uh, I don't remember much about her music class. But literally every year, it sounds like, she found kids to hand over the keys In my graduating ninth grade class, there was about 64 children. Twelve of us went into professional music. Are you like, what was going on at that school? It's just that there there was one humble fourth and fifth grade teacher who knew how to hand the keys over and spark something in the imaginations of kids. This is what we want to do as a church. Like, on every level. Not just musically speaking, but in how we care for the youngest kids. How we become companions for folks with special needs in our midst. How we become good financial managers. How we become good leaders of human beings. Like, we need to do for our young people what Mrs. P did for other little fifth grade pianists like me. So here's the question. Currently... Do we as Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church as leaders, do we trust our young people with keys appropriate to their age, their gifts, and their interests? Uh, In July, we had some grown-ups. Andy Pasek, our youth ministries director, was there. I was there. We had a bunch of young people there. We basically had a conversation around this topic. Uh, On the screens now 
is going to pop up a genuine text conversation between Andy and one of our uh, anonymous young adults. So this is Andy. Hey, man, how long have you been a part of ECRC? Well, my entire life. 22 years of it. And what are some of your favorite things about our church? Young person's response. Growing up in our church was great. Sounds like good news. All my friends are here. Timothy, cadets, youth groups, hitting all the right buttons here. Not just through school, but also on a spiritual level too. Like awesome, this is working for this young person. And how has our church shown you that you are valued in the church and the way that the church is run? In my time here at church, I have never been given any chances outside of youth group. And that was only during the four years of high school youth group. Ouch. And what is your dream to be able to bring your talents and passions to our congregation? Just want to know what's available out here? For all I know, hey, there's elders, deacons, there's pastors, staff people that work here, but I don't know what other congregational committees there are, what other spots there might be to serve. This is a recent college graduate. I'd love to bring my talents and everything to help make the church better, but without knowing the options and what's available, I don't feel like I have keys yet, is what he's saying, right? Here's a young person from our congregation, came up through all the right hoops, Feels like he's connected, had some great opportunities to serve in high school, and now as a recent college graduate back in this part of the world, he's like, man, I have some skills, I have some stuff to offer. Nobody's really told me like how this all fits together, and I'm a little lost right now. We need to get better at this. This isn't about becoming a better church. This is about becoming a better witness. Because when we raise up our young people, the spiritual vitality goes up, the spiritual energy goes up, and our witness gets a little bit clearer. That is what it is all about. We are a bright spot when it comes uh, to our youngest kids, our elementary school kids. When it comes to our 18 to 29-year-olds in our population, we have a lot of work to do. I mean, some of it were fighting the demographics of this area. How many 24-year-olds do you know who can afford a house in Oakbrook? Right? I, I mean, there's economic challenges that we face along these lines, which means we need to be extra intentional with our young people and young adults. Happily, because we've been having this conversation for about a year in our leadership groups, we are incrementally better now a year later. Have you noticed this summer how many kids and young people have either played an instrument or prayed or spoken or used their gifts either in the back or up in front? Yeah. This is good, right? <laughs> this is not just about what's going on in public on Sunday morning, though. It needs to be about what's happening at every level of our church conversation and leadership. Our leadership groups are now asking hey, when we need to find a new fill-in-the-blank for X, is there anybody below the age of 30 that we could ask first? Like, that's a new behavior for us. That's a good new behavior for us. So what can you do? 
I hope as I read these alarming statistics, hopefully your soul sank a little bit and hopefully now is rising up a little higher and you're asking yourself the question, how can I help this project to cumulatively raise our witness? If you are older, like over 30, if you are older, (laughs) if there's a younger person in your life that you can invite them to come alongside you into something, that would be awesome. If there is a young person in your life who in a non-creepy way you can invite out, or if it's going to be creepy, invite two people out and make a little four-person coffee date out of it, just to ask them about college, what courses they're taking, what their career aspirations are. We heard directly from our young people two months ago that, hey, sometimes when I talk about my college classes or my career aspirations, I just feel like every older person in my life rolls their eyes. If you are older, you can come alongside and listen to somebody younger. That would be awesome. If you are a younger person, if there is even any little stirring in your heart of, I see this as a problem at church and I'd like to get involved, or I've learned this in college, or now I have a couple years of experience and I wonder if I could build a bridge between what I've been doing out there and what happens in church, like, come talk to me, come talk to one of our staff members. Um, As older people, we are going to do better reaching out to you, young people, and inviting you and involving you. We are going to do better. But you also, in training for the grown-up world, would be well served if you have the glimmer of idea to just put your foot forward and put yourself out there a little bit. Grown-ups that I know who sit back and just wait for stuff to happen, those don't turn into happy grown-ups. You have to put yourself out there, put your hopes, put your dreams, put your prayers out there a little bit, and then trust that God is somehow going to make something happen. It might turn out totally different than what you want, but something will happen out of that. In the next year, we are also going to do a special kind of partnership. We're going to have a little helping coaching in this. This is going to happen next spring, maybe into next summer, where we are going to try to find... Uh, 25 young adults and pair them up or make triads with 25 older people. And the way it's going to go down is this. Every young person is going to be able to name a problem in the neighborhood, in the church, in the world. And then over a six to eight week period is going to work with some older folks just to move the needle a little bit on that problem. What would happen if we had 25 imaginative young adults who all at the same season for a, you know, for a few months uh, put forth their prayers and dreams and ideas and had a little help and coaching just to make a small difference in the world? So we are preparing for a season like that. What would happen if you combine the wisdom of the old and the passion and the energy of the young? That's when awesome things happen. Uh, About 21 years ago, uh, my wife and I were in Florida sitting beside a pool. Our oldest daughter was tiny. This is why I remember that it was 21 years ago. And uh, I ended up sitting poolside with an Irish-American family. The dad was an Irishman. The mom was uh, from New York. 
and I've always been fascinated by Ireland. I start asking them a whole bunch of questions about Ireland, and I ask this woman the question, like, hey, what's, what's, they lived in a small village. I mean, she grew up in New York and ended up living in a small village, rural Ireland. So I was asking her to compare and contrast these things and ended up asking her a question, like, hey, what's the, what's the best virtue of small-town Irish life? Here was her answer. It's is with me 21 years later. She said, in Ireland, every evening, in the restaurants and pubs, everybody gets together. And my 16-year-old can be talking to an 82-year-old granddad and sharing a meal, and it's totally normal. In New York, my 16-year-old won't talk to anyone who's over 17 years old. Do you hear her point? Like in America, we are so segmentized and used to hanging around exactly people just like us. And she's saying in Ireland, it doesn't matter. You just get together in the pub and have a good time and old people talk to young people and vice versa. And that is the most beautiful thing about Irish life, according to this woman. And my thought was this. I was already working in a church, kind of feeling like this does not happen in the church where I work. I thought, if... If, like, bad food and beer can do this for people in Ireland, (laughs) how can this not happen in the church where we have bad coffee but the best news in the world? You hear what I'm saying? Like, there are places where this happens. So I guess it would be fair to say the church needs to become a slight bit more like an Irish pub. (laughs) Just on this topic. But this is the goal Again, not just to get old people talking to young people, but because if people come in a room where there is that kind of relationship and spiritual vitality, they will take notice and our witness in obedience to Jesus' parting words will get brighter and stronger. In this book, a remarkable line is this, faith is not something that is just passed down from the old to the young. It is passed all around. This is my hope and prayer for this congregation. I mean, when kids stand up in front of us and lead scripture, when our little lambs sing all together, when kids' choirs do that, like, it's happening, but even more can happen for faith to be passed around. What is attractive to people who are not here on Sunday morning? A real spiritual life, a life where varied generations, races, even different political preferences, not that we ask those questions very often, band together for something bigger, something bigger than politics, something bigger than age, something bigger than race. And here's what it is, walking Jesus' way. These simple words set the tone. You, look all around, y'all, you will be my witnesses. going to subtract a few words because this seems audacious. Who, me? You will be. Not somebody else. Y'all, you will be. Are you sure, Lord? You will. Ah, what about you? 
This is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, it's an incredible honor that you trust us with being the living proof and evidence of your life, your death, your resurrection, and that is what we want to be. Lord, in order to fully be that, in order to fully have a spiritual, vital life, uh, we need to let the barriers down, open our hearts, find some courage, locate our keys, start sharing a little more. God, gently shepherd us along the way so this congregation uh, can maintain the great life you have already put in here and experience even more life as we are plugged into you. In Jesus' name, Let it be and let us grow. And everybody said, amen.